0: Welcome to the Cinematologist Podcast. I'm Dario Linares, and down the line, of course, is the enigmatic Neil Fox.
1: Thank you very much, uh, the mercurial
0: Dario Linares. <laughs> Sorry, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to stop this because it's just gonna get really. That's a little what the
1: kids call Easter eggs for our listeners from the previous episode. Um, but it's always nice to be nice, isn't it? So.
0: It is indeed. It's good to uh, good to speak to you. Um, yeah, I've just been. Uh, thinking about actually th- thinking about all the films i've got to watch um because yeah with the end of end of year discussion coming up i feel like i haven't watched as much as i as i could have done and yeah i mean there's, there's some big <laughs> big things have come out recently but also you know just catching up with some stuff uh, throughout the year how are you what are you up
1: to at the moment? uh kind of the same really i'm just uh trying to get to the end of the the academic year um i'm pretty pretty much where i want to be in terms of the films that i want to have seen by the end of your show there's a few little ones uh atlantics and the report okay yeah yeah and uh they've just come up on on the streaming services so i'm looking forward to um to catching those uh just to kind of chat about particularly atlantics i think is going to Feature quite highly. What's on your What's on your list for for catching?
0: Yeah, I do want to see. I mean, I, I, we, I did watch The Irishman finally, so maybe we can we can have a chat about that at some point and put it on the bonus maybe, because uh, there's a lot to say about that. I did love me it. Too, I have yeah, to say, me too. I really, I <laughs> me really too. loved it, and uh, I kind of want to say I, I want to be a, an evangelical about it, just to, just to, almost as a political <laughs> decision in a way. You know what I mean? But I'm not going to get into that now. But I do want to see. Uh, I do want to see Marriage mm, Story. Yeah, that'll be on Netflix
1: before we tape anyway, so, yeah.
0: Yeah, and I, I want to catch up with... I do want to see Happier Lazaro. I did see Hale County this morning, this evening, which I love. It's amazing,
1: isn't it? It's so good. It's so good. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. I mean, that could be on my... That could be up there on my end of year. Mm. Best it's in my 10 at the moment. Yeah, yeah, it could be up there. Because I just think it's doing... So, I, I'm really getting more into lauding films that are doing something that i have i kind of haven't seen much of before or i haven't seen at all before and i think that does things that are so interesting and important with certain genres that i think is really really good so yeah those are things that, that i want to catch up with in the next week or so i've got my list somewhere but i, I, don't, I won't go through it now because i i do want to talk to you about today's episode which is uh the short interviews that i taped at Filmstock festival so yeah, I was thinking about what what to ask you about this because obviously this is something that's uh, dear to your heart. You've come back to it after a ten-year hiatus. Um, so uh, why, why don't you start by giving us a little bit of a sort of history of of the festival? Why did you start it originally, and and you know what what were your sort of memories of that that period of its development?
1: So. I'm from Luton, which a lot of people know. I talk about it a lot. Uh, I'm very, I'm very proud of that fact, and I think we'll probably come back to that later in terms of the Lutonness of it all. But uh, I met Justin Doherty, who I do the, who I do film stock with, and who I make films with. He uh, he directed Wilderness, the feature that I wrote, and we. It was a weird thing, really. It was. I was studying film at university. We met Justin and I met at Sixth Form College, and then I went off to university, and he stayed to work at the Sixth Form. And uh, in my, I think it was in my towards the end of my second year, I, I, I contacted him because I needed to do a bit of editing for a presentation. I was doing a presentation on mockumentary in, in the documentary module, and I said I need to, I wanted to edit some clips from The Simpsons and uh, Spinal Tap and I knew he, he was working at the college as a technician so I went in and we hadn't seen each other for a while and on the wall of his office was this thing that just said Filmstock Luton Film Festival and I was like wow that sounds great and I, I lived in Luton I didn't move to London to, to study at Milstead so I lived there and sort of commuted in and I was like wow this sounds great what's that you know um, and he was like well it's just an idea it's just a logo I've been watching a lot of Woodstock and thought it would be cool if Luton had a film festival and I was like yeah that that would be really cool you know kind of like who are you doing it with and he's like Literally, I don't. We don't have it's, it's it's just a logo, you know. And I was like, oh, that sounds cool. And I went home and started thinking, yeah, why don't we have a film festival? You know, like every time we go to London to see gigs or we go to the London Film Festival, there's always people from the train on the train from Luton. You know, like we don't we were always having to leave to do cool stuff. Why can't we do something cool in the town? So I phoned him the next day and said if you want to do it, I'm in, you know, like, let's let's do it. And I was 19 and he was 18 at the time or something. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, that was sort of late 98 and we started up working on it in early 99 with a view to doing the first event in 2000. Um, the first event was a 15-day festival. Jesus yeah, Christ. I know. Wow. Yeah. Um, which was <laughs> utter madness. But we were like, yeah. <laughs> um, but you're 19. You don't care. Do you know what I mean? You're like, yeah. yeah? yeah. And it wasn't time. Move over Berlin. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Cannes only 13 days, so let's go 15 um, And that, I mean, that literally was, but we kind of joke about it. You look at our kind of, who we were going to kind of get in contact with who was going to support the festival in the first year and it's hilarious. You know, uh, all these sponsors and all these guests and I I did, I stalk, I went to um, Sicilia Productions, Scorsese's uh, production company when I went to New York in 1999 and kind of stalked out, stalked him out trying to, trying to get him to just say something about Luton. (laughs) Um, You know, because I thought he's going to want to know that we're running this film festival and it's going to be amazing. Um, So, the first year was, you know, kind of, Just, we thought, we'll just do it and we'll see what goes on. And it was great. The highlights, there's two highlights. One was Ray Harryhausen came and uh, it was just, it was incredible, you know, and he brought, he brought uh, the Medusa and he brought a skeleton and he brought loads of stuff. Um, It was just, yeah, fabulous, um, a fabulous afternoon in his company. And the other thing was that someone had seen that we were kind of doing comedy and that we were, I think we were screening Duck Soup. And, uh, and said, oh, you know, would you be interested in seeing this pilot of an Abbott and Costello print on 16mm? Um, it's never been screened. It's just been in a vault. It literally never been seen. This um, And it's where a lot of their famous sketches, particularly the Slowly I Turn sketch, um, came from. And uh, that was amazing. Literally, when we opened the print uh, container, it was pristine 1920-something, uh, print never been played. So that was those were the things that were like, wow, this is this is what we want to be doing, you know? Um and also the other thing that happened that year was we we opened the, the short film programme up to international filmmakers almost by accident because we were contacted by one and said are you accepting international shorts and we thought there'd only be a few British filmmakers who'd be interested in. And uh, we were like, yeah sure and, and she came to the festival. Her name was Lisa Lisa France she now releases films for well she makes films under the Ava DuVernay Array Now banner. And she came and uh, yeah, it just kind of made us realise actually maybe we should be thinking about this being the festival. And over the years, that's what grew, was the independent stuff, you know, working to get a good programme and getting independent filmmakers there. Because Luton's got a multiplex and a lot of the stuff we were showing as retrospective was okay, but we knew that what our audience started to grow to really want was these, these, these independent films that they would not see anywhere else. And that became sort of midway through the staple Um, of the festival and we started to develop a reputation about looking after filmmakers and being a place where you would just have a really really good time and you'd be really appreciated for making a film and you'd have interesting questions from other filmmakers but also this audience who most people would assume a Luton audience would be well you know like they assume you Luton to be you know pretty stupid and not interesting but we knew we had a really really great audience and that's where we kind of focused our energy and that's where it kind of grew and we had a lot of filmmakers come through the festival that would then go on to other things and I guess the most notable one in terms of relationship with the festival was Jason Reitman who came who had a short in the first the second year and then we contacted him to screen thank you for smoking as an opening film and he remembered the festival and was like yeah and he told 20th Century Fox that he wanted to come to Luton and they were like you don't want to go to Luton he's like no I want to go to this festival because they screened my film six years ago. And he came to Luton and we played, uh, we played arcade games in a, in a Namco uh, while the film was on. Um, and then with Up in the Air, he gave us Up in the Air again and did a really lovely video intro from Can um, Cause, you know, so it was one of those things that we, the, the, the dedication to filmmakers and, and to a non-hierarchical festival where the audience, the team and the filmmakers, we all hang out, we all watch movies um, and we all have a good time as, that's that's where that's what the festival reputation was, and we did it for ten years, and we finished yeah, in two thousand and
0: nine. Fantastic! And then, obviously, you've come back in in twenty nineteen. So was that basically just because of the ten year anniversary, or were you just kind of like mooting bringing it back with with Justin for a while, or what? What was that conversation?
1: The, the twenty nineteen thing was a nice, you know, a nice thing to aim for. And in the last couple of years, we'd always talked about it, and Justin's always joking about you know, I oh, just do, let's just do film next year, um, kind of quarter serious, um, mostly not because of the work, but, uh, over the last couple of years, you know, and we, re- when we, when we made Wilderness, we realized that we miss working together, you know, um, and we just enjoyed that. And so that was part of it. And just kind of missing that relationship of working, uh, with, with each other was a big part of it. Um, Things have changed in Luton in terms of some of the people that knew the festival and supported the festival back in the day from a lower level were now in higher higher, higher levels of different organisations which could give us the core-based funding which we never had before and would have made it much easier to to say yes knowing that pretty much the basic festival was, was already covered. The venues had changed, so... The venues that we use this time a, a, a community charity space called Youthscape uh, which is an amazing space wasn't there Justin didn't have the bear club so we, we had we had ownership of venues this time that we wouldn't have had before and then last year some, there's, a, there's another little film festival in Luton called Butte Street Film Festival um, which was given the title in a local article of being called Luton's first film festival which was annoying in itself you know just from bad journalism but what was really what was really amazing was just I I heard about that because of the response of Luton people who'd seen it online and were like no 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 this film stock is film stock is film stock was amazing you know film stock was this thing you know and they really and it was like oh they still remember (laughs) they still remember it you know and with all those sort of things circulating it was like okay maybe we maybe we look into it so we did a little email to filmmakers and friends that from the past and said you know how would you feel if we brought it back um And they were like, yeah, we'd love it. We'd come. Um, So we thought, okay, we'll give it a go. And we thought we'd test the water with a return event in in 2019.
0: Thanks for um, having me be involved. I I really enjoyed the time there. I really got that sense of, you know, the community aspect of the the festival and the fact that it is film, but it's also kind of like, you know, what are we interested in as humans? You know what I mean? It's like art and culture and music and conversation. And like, I, I... it's one of the few festivals that I've been to or well, all conferences, you know, for that matter where I didn't feel like anybody was left sort of on their own. Do you know what I mean? In a corner, everybody, you know, cause you were there sort of most of the time you were and, and sort of Justin was in and out for, for other reasons as well. So I mean, obviously he was there most of the time, but um, yeah, it was just fantastic to see that. And also the films that have been chosen, you know, obviously at all f- festivals, there's sort of, things to your taste or things that you don't rate as much as other things that you do rate and stuff. But I think everything that was programmed, you could see why it was programmed and what it what it was trying to do, whether it's something that was sort of political or, you know, was speaking to, to questions of identity was a big theme, of course. But then just interesting aesthetic filmmakers, you know, people making weird shit that, that you were like, what, what what is that? You know what I mean? But, you know, you were glad that you'd seen it. And then, of course, the sort of... Uh, the big uh, Q and A's and the big films as well. I mean, I I saw back to back, I saw the two documentaries wrestle, which I loved because it really spoke to me about, you know, sports documentaries and that kind of thing. Then there was the man who wanted to fly, which I I didn't know anything about really, which is just just a a really sort of sweet and interesting, uh, you know, sort of a yarn in a way, you know, of this guy sort of dream, this old guy who wanted to become a pilot and, you know, this Irish fella and then made by Irish filmmakers and 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 that sort of brought that sensibility that you could laugh sort of along with, with some of the things that were going on that, you know, in other hands, you'll be like, "Oh, that's, you know, that's a bit stereotypical, but it was kind of like, you know, really amusing. And then stuff that I'd seen before, you know, The Ballad of Shirley Collins, which I know you love to death. And that Milford Gray's Full Mantis, which I really want to see. It's one I haven't seen yet. I didn't get a chance at the festival. And, um, and of course, of course, of course... Stunning like Double O Seven, um, bunch of const, which we were lucky enough to speak to Christine France, who did the Q and A for the screening. But then I spoke to her as part of the uh, part of the interviews that I, I've done, which was really, which is really great. So an amazing program. You must be really sort of proud of that.
1: Yeah, no, I am. Thank you. And yeah, I'm, I'm pleased you had a good time and, and enjoyed it. Just you know, I, I wouldn't have done I wouldn't have done it if you couldn't have been there you know and in the sense that what well just because you know you're one, of my best, you're one of my best friends and i love uh, i love hanging out with you but more that one of the one of the things we had was what's what's film's going to be well it's not going to we don't want to do what we did 10 years ago because we're not the same people we were 10 years ago you know and we've the the bear club being such a big part of it was because Justin built this amazing jazz club with his bare hands you know and that's been a huge part of his the last five years of his life so it has to have a central place the podcast is is a huge part of mine music documentaries you know which was a a strand which you mentioned and these filmmakers that came were people that I'd met in most of them I'd met in the interim and it, it, it felt like an opportunity to to go and and kind of show people what we've been doing for 10 years as much as the program yeah i'm really pleased that you say that because that's our, our ethos has always been we watch everything me and justin so that we can stand by everything and people have asked in the past why did you show that and we know why both of us know why and it might not always be obvious um but there is a reason why everything's in the program and i think that's one of the reasons that it's quite a high quality program that people remark on in terms of how few misses, for want of a better phrase, there are. Um, But also that you could walk into a program at Filmstock, you know, or you could walk onto any day of Filmstock and get a sense of what the whole thing is. You know, I don't like going to a festival where they're like, these are the comedy shorts and these are the horror shorts and these are the weird shorts. It's like, if I've, if you've, you know, I'm thinking like a Lutonian, do you know what I mean? If you're in town and you're persuaded by someone, come in for an hour and a half and just watch some movies. I want them to get a sense of everything and know that in, t- in 10 minutes there might be another one on they like so those sort of the things are the things that we try to retain and an evening where you watch yeah you watch wrestle this kind of high high octane high budget well not high budget but you know high high aesthetic um American sports talk. and then you watch this yarn and I think yarn's a great phrase for the man who, who wanted to fly and um, yeah, and then and then bunch of cunts the Sleep of Mods film is playing in a really loudly in a jazz club and everyone's getting absolutely smashed. You know, um, that's that to me is what a festival should be. And um, yeah, it it was good that um, it was it was good. You know, it was, it was nice for me to again like to have you there because you didn't know me then. You know, um, and a lot of people that were there didn't know me then, and they're seeing part of who I was before. Come out again, you know, and that was really nice to share um, that that side of me, which uh, yeah hasn't been shared for a decade. Yeah, B was
0: taking the piss, saying that Justin's your first love, and I'm just the late comer <sighs> to the to the Neil to the Neil Fox party. You see, in in romance oh. land. <laughs> you both you're both very special um, to me. Well. Oh <laughs> no, no, no don't, don't worry, Neil. I know, I know, I know that that, that you know I'm there in your heart. Um, so um, we've got five interviews to come. So what I'm going to do, Neil, is I'm going to tell you the order of the interviews. And I want you to give a, a kind of one-liner on each person or, you know, sure. mention what, what they showed or or who they are. And um, yeah, and just very, very quickly, just so that everybody knows what's to come. So first up, we have Dan Schneikraut.
1: So Dan Schneikraut is uh, a filmmaker from Minneapolis slash Colorado, um, who was, uh, he had a few films at FilmStop the first time around. He's one of my favourite filmmakers in the world um, I just think he's incredible and just a really wonderful human being um, so it was a pleasure to have him back he had three films at this year's festival and they were all great and they played in three different programmes so yeah
0: Yep echo that really had a good time talking to Dan and hopefully he's going to put us in touch with some contacts in America which will be
1: uh, exciting
0: and then we have coming next we have Christine France who we mentioned previously Yeah
1: Christine directed the Sleaford Mods film Bunch of Kunst. Um, I met her uh, well, I got in touch with her, writing a piece on the film for uh, our our friend Marbell and his site directors notes, and we just sort of hit it off. And yeah, I was so so pleased that, that she was there, and she was on the jury as well for the docs. So yeah, great great to show that film.
0: Uh, and after that, we have younger filmmaker Toby Matthews.
1: Toby is uh, a graduate of Falmouth University in the yeah last in the summer, so he's just graduated, and his film Holiday is a wonderful ten minute. Uh, 16 mil Jacques Tati inspired short uh, and just a note on Toby um, and Rose uh, Mahoud, um uh, Rose Idale, who whose films played the festival they were there the whole weekend and he was absolutely he talked to everybody he engaged with everyone and I was like this is the kind of filmmaker you want to support with a festival like ours where he's just he's just again it's interested he's interesting he's talking to everyone it was really great as from a lecturer point of view to see him be so engaged with the festival and so yeah, just just really lovely. A kind of one of those investments you make in people that you think that you sort of see pay off in a nice way for them, which was great.
0: Yep, and holiday of course his film won won a prize. He did, they won, it. The did it it won, won the best short. It won the uh,
1: youth jury award. Youth jury award, that was it. Yeah, so which was great because I didn't even know till they till they announced it. So that was really nice. Uh,
0: and then next up we have Gillian Harker.
1: So Gillian is a Lutonian, like myself, and uh, she's been on the pod. From way back. Yes, She's an, second, uh, an, yeah. an episode two. Second episode. one, episode two, yeah. Um, actress turned filmmaker, um, and this was her first directorial effort uh called cross which is a really really good uh really good film one of those films where you see a film by a friend and you're like oh, how's this yeah go? Thank- thankfully um, <laughs> but it's great it's really great uh we wouldn't we wouldn't have put it on if we if we didn't think that um yeah really good piece of work and um yeah jill's a big fan of the podcast as well so it's nice to have her on talking about her work rather than uh and the patreon subscriber she is as well so so uh,
0: thank you very much jillian for that continued support Absolutely. we really do appreciate that and finally, we have Edwin Miles.
1: Edwin uh, is uh, another former graduate, but the film we showed is his MA film, um, which is about his grandmother. And he played in he played in uh, the program with Dan One of Dan, Dan Schneider films um, called Father's Day, and yeah, just really beautifully observed documentary about his grandmother, um, uh, following her ninety third birthday when she finds out she's got terminal illness. Um, yeah it could be mawkish it could be sentimental but he's just a really good filmmaker and the subject she's just there's some really interesting things that she talks about in terms of impending uh, mortality and things like that it's just it's really lovely and really well handled and again just great to have Edwin around for the whole weekend talking about his work as a filmmaker and seeing seeing that growth in a in a graduate is, is really exciting Awesome, so that's what you've
0: got to look forward to, so yeah, well I hope you enjoyed those interviews and uh, we'll speak to you in, uh, in a little while. So I'm joined now on the Cinematologist podcast by Dan Schneidkraut. Dan, thanks so much for taking the time to speak to me.
2: Yeah, thanks, thanks for having me. I, uh, I didn't sleep very well last night, uh, and that's as close as I ever get to being drunk, so that might make this really interesting. <laughs> well, we, we, did, we stay, did you stay for the uh, the schlockfest at the, uh, the film I didn't schlockfest? Make it, or I didn't make it all the way through no. no Uwe was... Uh I knew where it was going, I could guess. I've, I've sat through other Uwe Bowl films. So. Yeah, yeah. You get to 45 <laughs> minutes in, it's like a yeah. message here. Yeah, yeah.
0: But your films, um, Neil's screening three of them, which we'll, we'll talk about, all these two that, that I've seen, but you have um, been an attendee of Filmstock in the
2: past, so, you know, it's, what's it like to be back at this festival? It's it's great, I love these people. They're, uh, Neil and Justin are uh, two of my favorite people that I've ever encountered, and they've always been uh, very, supportive uh, i think we're like uh, kindred, kindred spirits uh we, we both just uh we love film and we love uh challenging film and uh they were one of the few festivals that had any interest in my first feature and my early shorts which were uh far from being like entertainment they're uh you know on the video art end of things, very conceptual, right. and, um, not necessarily easy to watch. And uh, I was I was very grateful that they saw some value in what I had to say uh, back then. And then, uh, you know, made it out here. We became uh, good friends, and uh, it's just it's really cool to be back in Luton.
0: Great. Yeah. And um, you've got I mean, you know, you've got a really prolific back catalogue or oeuvre, as we might say, <laughs> for being really pretentious. Um, but I was really interested in sort of, you know, we'll talk about, as you say, the, the sort of sensibility of your films, but well, I was really fascinated to sort of think about what, what got you into filmmaking. Were you, are you a, a film school graduate or is it, it, did you get into film in a different direction?
2: Uh, I never went to school for film. Uh, my main education was through... My dad, who's featured in some of the films, he was uh, a cinephile and uh, introduced me to a lot of a lot of important films at a really young age. Like I remember being small, like eight years old, and watching like Wages of Fear and uh, uh, Carol Reed movies and stuff. Like things that mm-hmm. were way over my head yeah. uh, when I was a kid, and The Godfather and all those things. And uh, you know, I don't know if I was ready for any of that, mm-hmm. but it made an impression and. Always having films in the house and having discussions about films and art in general probably uh, got me interested at a young age or got into my subconscious somehow. And then uh, I grew up in Boulder, Colorado, which... um, the university there has a, has a famous film program. The head of the film program when I was a kid was uh, Stan Brakhage, you know, a seminal uh, experimental filmmaker. And uh, he would have programs on Sundays where he would show rare things that he made or his friends made. People like, you know, people like Ken Jacobs and Jonas Mekas mm. and stuff like that. Sure. Uh, and then and then students, other things, things you wouldn't see other places, and he would speak about film. And, and again, all of that was like a little bit, uh, a little bit above my head but uh, I still it still resonated and it was really interesting and I was always uh, you know, drawn to those things even if I didn't entirely understand. It's amazing how many semi files have that
0: experience where they've been introduced to something without and just said watch this and and not really have any explained but like it sparks something curious rather than just being you know shown mainstream movies for fun kind of
2: oh yeah i mean they make things that haunt you and you figure out that there's that films can speak to your subconscious in a way and stick with you in a way that you can't even articulate you know i think that's that's absolutely right and you've got um
0: so the first film that i saw yesterday which you were you were talking about was was father's day which is a very sort of uh personal film obviously it's kind of uh, about your father but I think it, it relates to some of the interest that you have in terms of this notion of where, where that relates to sort of American culture so I don't know do you want to set, set up the sort
2: of background to that film? Well the film began just because I was shooting another a totally unrelated film in Colorado and it happened to be during uh, father, the Father's Day holiday, I don't know if you guys have the same... Yeah, yeah I right, think okay. it's the same day in the yeah, UK, but we you, do have... A, have yeah, so, so. Uh, I hadn't seen my dad for a while, I had the camera there, I'd filmed him, I'd already made a feature documentary, that, and, and he was the center of it, and so I, I, I had my camera there already, we were spending the day together, Father's Day, going to get coffee, and uh, in recent conversations we've been speaking a lot about mortality and his friends dying, and uh, I kind of secretly was hoping that that would continue while we went while we did things during the day. Like I would get a, a sense of uh, of where his mind was regarding death, mortality, his friends, all of these things. And uh, he sort of like very naturally went there when we were. You know, I was just following with the camera to coffee, and all of his friends were talking about uh, death trivia and things like that. Sure. Um, and. Uh, you know, we just, uh, we, we spent time together, and how that relates to, uh, you know, American experience is that, you know, he's, he's dealing with a, a lot of angst in regards to uh, his business, and... Uh, uh, he works in the music business and the way you know capitalism works in America is that things like that are not are not particularly valued you know things that I would consider a sacred place sure. are not very valuable to the progress of capitalism especially when formats are changing uh, with music and all sure. of those things so there's always this undercurrent of capitalistic anxiety happening there and through the process of the film, I was also spending time in this, this community that had died that was sort of uh, a collective community in the, in the plains of Colorado that had formed really organically in an interesting way. And uh, that's not the documentary I'm making, so I, I can't speak about it as much as I would like, but like, uh, I saw all these parallels between my dad's experience, his his store dying, and the, and the dying of this community out there, and then simultaneously these these meditations on uh, mortality. Mm. I mean, it's interesting, there's inferences, I think, to going right back to... I don't know,
0: uh, literary influences like Steinbeck or something like that, all the way through to, you know, what's going on politically in the United States right now. And it seems like there's a real, in this sort of much more poetic sense in terms of the film, you're you're not asking those questions, but these issues seem to be bubbling under in your relationship, but also the way you're shooting and you've got these amazing sort of, you know, wide shots of the plains, and that there's that sort of very
2: sort of washed-out lighting. It gives you that, that, that those sort of aesthetic senses. I think. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if I was even thinking about that when it happened, but it's the specter of, of all of the politics of the United States are 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 there in the films. It's impossible to I- ignore this intense anxiety uh, we feel just being Americans and trying to survive sure. in the current environment. Yeah, and coming back from your your father. And his kind of mentality and his sensibility
0: coming from music and stuff like that, it's a very different kind of reaction to the one that we see in the news, you know, very angry about say the loss of American industry and all that kind of thing. He seems to be much more almost sort of bittersweet about it, you know, wistful, accepting, but also nostalgic about what once
2: was, you know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah, he's reaching a point, like, he, 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 through a lot of his life, he had, he had, a, he had fight in him, and, and now he's becoming resigned to the inevitability of the failure of his business, his own death, the yeah. death of his friends, which in some ways is, like, really healthy, but as a slightly younger person, it's hard for me to come to terms with him getting to that place in his life, so I think maybe with this film, it was, like, uh, my way of reaching some sort of peace or catharsis with the idea that he's kind of ready to die and kind mm-hmm. of ready to give up his his business, you know? Yeah. I've spoken to a couple of filmmakers who I think
0: are in the same, I don't want to say category because I'm going to speak outside of categories now, but you know, I wouldn't consider you, and maybe again, maybe, you know, you have your own thoughts on this about the notion of a fictional filmmaker and a documentary filmmaker. Yeah. And I think that you, are, are sort of dealing with sort of documentary tropes and, and sort of uh, ideas that are associated with documentary but I just wondered whether you uh, see yourself as part of this almost critique of the very idea of what documentary does in its in its classical form i.e trying to get to an objective notion of truth it seems to me that you're dealing with much more sort of subjective notions of of
2: what reality is and what, what it means to be human and all these, these questions. Uh, yes, I mean, uh, if you've ever read Herzog's Minnesota Declaration, that's a thing that resonates with me. I think the idea of accounting for facts it doesn't make for interesting filmmaking. Yeah, I I do believe exactly as he says that there's a there's a deeper truth, and I'm looking, I'm seeking the same thing. It, it resonates with me. I want ecstatic truth. I want um, I want to. I, I mean it, you know. But I will I will I will make editorial decisions that if you're a journalist, for example, you would never make. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, you know, it's all it's all very sincere, and it's done with intention, but I think it's the idea that you can find any sort of objective truth is ridiculous. Mm. Mm. Do you not find as well and I'm always thinking through this, there's a paradox
0: then, because if you take that to the logical conclusion, you get post-truth, fake news, yes. everything's
2: a lie. So it's kind of paradoxical, isn't it, in a way. Well, my oversimplification of how you how you deal with that paradox is that you just have to mean it. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Okay. If you're if if your intention is is sinister mm. or or dubious then you know uh you're making something that's that's morally awful you know mm. but uh and, and that's the between fake news and like trying to actually bring someone mm. more in touch with the human experience yeah we, we have complete opposite intentions you know yeah i uh, I, I hope that someone someone leaves understanding on a subconscious level something more about their human experience or my human experience or my dad's. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, yeah, so I suppose it it, it just
0: just become an an ethical intentionality, doesn't it? And you have to take the filmmaker or whoever's speaking at their word. And then obviously, you know, you look at somebody like the T word, I won't say it, but it's yeah. clearly bad faith going on there. You know what I mean?
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're a terrible person, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're going to create a terrible narrative and, and that's what we're dealing with. Uh, uh, right now, obviously, but you know, I, I try not to think about these things too much. I, I, I become more of an intuitive filmmaker, and I just try to take the films where I think they ought to go, where sure. they'll be the most effective, and
0: yeah, serve I'm a, the purpose that I need I, them to serve. Yeah. And you can see that very clearly, I think, in terms of the shooting at the OK Corral, which I really enjoyed, and it was one of those films that sort of grew on me as it went along, because I was kind of like, mm, I'm not sure what, I'm kind of not sure what this is, and then when it sort of moved into the you know, you realised it's a sort of critique of the theme park nature of American culture in many ways, or the West anyway. It's it's, it's a fascinating film. So, do you tell us about what you know? What, what drove this this uh, this piece
2: of work? Well, it it has a similar story, which is that I was working on a I, I I was working as a DP for another film that's about the origin of Wyatt Earp and how he built his own myth- mythology and stuff. Uh, my friend Mike Plant. Made that film. It's called uh, uh, "With Him Came the West." Uh, but I, I had all this leftover footage that I liked, and uh, the experience there was very paradoxical. It was like super entertaining and interesting, but also like uh, there, the same anxiety that we're, we're, we were speaking about earlier exists there, and it's very intense because it's it's a place where. You know, you can see this kind of fun, entertaining uh, replication of a historical event that may or may not be accurate over and over every day, which is, which is charming, right? Mm-hmm. But then there's all these political implications to it because it's it's, it's, it's law enforcement murdering people in cold blood, yeah, yeah, yeah. which is still happening right now, and there's a huge there's a huge section of the U.S. population that still celebrates that yeah. and supports it, and they go to this place and enjoy it in a way that feels terribly obscene. You know, like there's a we I called it a redneck redneck Renaissance festival. I don't know if you have Renaissance festivals here, but they yeah yeah you know, they, they, they dress up these grown men dress up as cowboys and and have revolvers on their hip that are loaded and like to pretend that they're. In the Old West, and that they're uh, they're fighting for justice, and yeah. and they really believe the, these things. Like they, they their their political agenda is absolutely in line with this, which is like there's 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 good and bad, and there's the arbiters of justice, and they and they uh, they can't possibly be wrong and there's heroes and all these things, all these binary uh, ideas of how morality works. And, and you can just see it there in very sharp relief and it's disturbing as hell. And the whole time we were in Arizona, like we, we had weird run-ins with people. Like it's, it's definitely a place where uh, Real outlaw type of people, like like drug dealers and bikers and stuff, would we're kind of sizing us up because we had like wow. film equipment yeah, and yeah, things. Yeah. And then we were stopped uh, several times by border patrol, which is disturbing. Like, it feels like the it feels like the SS, you know, just uh, stopping you out of nowhere, checking your car, all these things. And uh, you know, if you live near the border, Arizona, you know that is just a reality mm. now, and it's. Uh, it's really upsetting so it was interesting to explore how this place can can be really fun and really interesting and fascinating but then also like make you absolutely sick to your stomach because yeah, yeah, yeah. there's like also a long long history of uh, genocide of indigenous people there it's just like it's just generations of darkness yeah. there and, and these people go there and have fun and really enjoy it yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's insane. Yeah, it's it, and it, it's so true as well that the
0: you know the Western is probably the quintessential American genre. You yes. You argue, and you know but I think even back in the sort of seventies and eighties there was very much a sort of concern about you know um, creating revisionist narratives where the Native Americans were given a voice and stuff like that. And it's almost as if we've gone past that. It's like, oh no, let's go back to yeah. you know, theme park, Western yes. kind of approach. And it, there is that parallel, if you think about what Scorsese has been criticized for recently about talking about the relationship between movies and theme parks. And it's all, I, I sort of, that popped into my head when, when you, know, you were looking at this, this theme park, Western scenario and, and, and how that, that does sort of sublimate all of these darker aspects that are underneath And It's amazing how you sort of draw
2: them out. Well, there's an analysis of this exact thing. Umberto Eco wrote a book called Travels in Hyperreality. I yeah, don't know if yeah. you've ever read it. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, Back in my PhD days, right? Yeah, <laughs> so right after I had right after I had this experience, I got that book. And uh, I mean, he he explains it better than I ever could. But these are the kind of ideas that I was thinking about, like the, this uh, preoccupation with uh, with a reality that's that's more accurate than the historical facts of sure. the situation, which we, which uh, is completely relevant to the whole uh, fake news everything like th- that. That's basically what it is. They're recreating uh, uh, a history and and modifying the facts to be more true than true for for really insidious ends, you know. And it's. Uh, it was really interesting to read that book, and it feels prescient, because it's like he, he, he's he, he's making parallels between our preoccupation with re- recreating history in the United States, you know, all the way back to... Uh, the Last Supper. You can find hundreds of recreations of The Last Supper throughout the United States. And some of them are animatronic and all yeah, these yeah, other yeah, things. Yeah. And then through, like, like Disneyland, It's a Small World, and all these things where uh, that's considered, that, that is now considered the more accurate history. It's considered more accurate than what actually yeah, yeah, happened, yeah. which is... Uh, it's a, it's, it's a mind fuck it's, no, no. it's a hell of a thing to think about and the whole thing feels like a, a Twilight Zone episode yeah. you know yeah. recreating the same murder over and over and over and over and over and making it more accurate than the actual murder that occurred on that on that exact property sure yeah, yeah. no it's, it, it's such a fascinating subject and I think your, your work really does great
0: job in in sort of pointing out in, in interesting ways where these contradictions lies and things that we think about you know it's just been taken for granted oh that is American culture no somebody has created has created that story and it tells us something it's an ideology yes you know what I mean it's propaganda yeah yeah well, um, it's always really nice to get a filmmaker on with a unique sensibility, I think. And uh, we'll, we'll link to your, uh, to your films on the website when we put this out. But, Dan, thanks very much for talking yeah, to Yeah, I really us. appreciate it. Thanks. Thank you.
2: In June, I went back to Colorado to capture footage of a ghost town called Deerfield for a Friends documentary. I also spent Father's Day with Andy for the first time in at least 20 years according to a monument donated by a petroleum corporation. Deerfield was an African-American agricultural colony founded by Oliver Toussaint Jackson in 1910. It thrived and reached a population of over 200, but was decimated by the Dust Bowl and the Great Depression. By 1946 it had only one resident. The tradition of making black folks feel unwelcome in communities they built. Continues in Colorado to this day.
0: So we're back on the Cinematologist with Christine France, who is the who is the producer and director of a uh, bunch of Kunst, the the film about the sl- uh, Sleaford Mons. So welcome, Christine. Thanks for coming on.
3: Hi. Thanks for having me on.
0: Um, obviously, you your the screening of the film was last night in the um, in the Bear Club across the way, which is the you know the, the jazz club which is associated with the uh, with the festival, of course. And I think. It seemed to me that that was an amazing atmosphere in which to, to watch that film. So how was it from your perspective?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I was super happy when I found out that it's uh, going to be screened there because I think that's the perfect fitting for the film. I always intended it to be screened at, at, in a sort of club situation, you know, because I think uh, that it's got a lot of energy to it and that just just works better in in that sort of environment and you know where people know you can have a drink and you know uh it, it's it was really quite fitting and it was packed it yeah. was such a nice screening
0: yeah and yeah. a nice sort of wrote uh, sort of ra- raucous in a good way atmosphere which obviously is sort of in keeping with the subject matter so yeah. tell us a little bit about the the film and the sleaford mods and how the project came together because mm-hmm. i remember maybe i can't remember if it was sort of a year a year and a half ago mm-hmm. when there was a there was a sort of more mainstream uh, explosion of this band. I think there was a BBC film about it and that kind of thing, but this is very different. So tell us about this project.
3: Um, So, um, I mean, I'm a Berlin Best music journalist and uh, I work for French and German TV um, for their weekly music programme and that's uh, how I first met them in, I think, 2014, which is... Uh, almost uh, five. Yeah, it's five years ago, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so it's incredible. Um, and uh, so they came to Berlin really early on. Um, we got on really well and did an interview. And then, um, after that, we decided there's so much more to it. We have to find out what they are all about. Um, what Nottingham is like, so we went right. over there, yeah. got really drunk, uh, had lots of fun up there, and um, yeah, so it was, it was, and, and took it from there. Really, I mean, we we thought we we're probably gonna just follow them around for for um, the small town tour that they did in early two thousand and fifteen when they were um, mainly pe- playing um, places that wouldn't normally be on any band's list, right. you know, and. Yeah. Uh, we thought that's just a great concept for 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 a tour, just um, sure. go to the smaller places, you know, where so much where there's so much love for the bank. Um, so we followed them around, and then uh, at some point they, um, they got booked for Glastonbury and right. we thought, um, you know, we can clearly see it you know they go on stage at Glastonbury and then the credits roll and that's kind of the film but um (laughs) luckily it turned out like completely different and it kind of things kind of really picked up after that Glastonbury performance and we thought there's no way that we can uh, stop here right now but we have to keep going for for a bit longer because um yeah, you know, there was you, you can totally see that there was some momentum there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, we wanted to, to
0: get what, that in the film. Uh, uh, what were some of your concerns in terms of the way you wanted this to come across as a music documentary? Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously that term you can apply to loads of different types of films. Yeah. And I suppose there is a danger that you can fall into kind of like, you know, anvil territory or, exactly, or something yeah, like that. And yeah. but, but I think there's a sort of real importance of political underpinning to mm. the to the to the band and to what you're yeah. trying to say
3: yeah i mean um obviously when we we started out we we wanted the film to actually reflect uh, the um, rawness of their music yeah. and uh, that was sort of the main idea and w- what I had in mind was um, films such as um, Sounded out Jeannie, Jeannie Finley's yeah, film, yeah. Which, which I was super happy that it was programmed the same day because that was a big inspiration something that doesn't force anything onto you, you know something I, I don't know something that like the people that it's 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 not really about the music but it's more about about the people and their kind of story and that would that was the one thing and then obviously um, you know that kind of Brexit referendum looming in the background. Sure. That was that was another thing. I mean, obviously we don't talk about that in the film directly, but I think I think that kind of served served as a as a backdrop to that as well. Because I mean, here was a band that kind of clearly put that whole frustration into into songs and and um, songs that even work um, on on a European stage. Even yeah, yeah, yeah. Where People maybe not. Um, don't don't fully get the lyrics, but they definitely, they, they, they are into that kind of energy and the frustration, they can feel that anger, you know, and I think that's what it's all about. So that was kind of the idea to, to make a film as raw as that and kind of try to translate that into the film.
0: So I can't not ask you about sort of Iggy Pop yeah. in the film. I know it's, <laughs> it's kind of like maybe not the aim of the film and yeah. sometimes when these, a big star yeah. comes in and sort of yeah. says, "Yeah, this band is great." It can be a bit of a cliche, but if it, mm-hmm. I think it works in this regard because Iggy does seem to have a real mm-hmm. sincere appreciation of what what, what mm-hmm. this band is.
3: Absolutely, and um, so the, the the whole Iggy thing. Luckily, I think uh, came came along quite late in the in the film. I mean, he was always sort of promoting the band and playing them on his uh, six music radio show, and um, so that, that that was great. But at um, first first, it didn't seem like a, like a uh, thing that's going to happen, you know, this interview. Um, b- because, um, I mean, I met Iggy Pop's producer at a, a gig in Cologne. He was standing in front of me. And uh, he was like, oh, I'm working for this radio program um, on six Music. And uh, so we stayed in touch. And then at some point he said, would you be interested in an interview? And I was like, yeah, sure. I mean, that yeah, would yeah, be yeah. amazing. But I felt the same way. I felt like... um. I didn't want wanted to become a talking heads film where other people tell us how great this band is yeah, I yeah, think yeah. it's more about you really have to feel how great they are and yep. you know so um uh yeah, but in the end we got the chance to interview him, and and so we flew to Helsinki. They were playing the same festival. Mm. Uh, than Iggy and uh, he was just such a fanboy, but in such a beautiful way. And, uh, it was uh, it was just absolutely incredible. I mean, I was saying last night that he he just turned up in his yoga pants, uh, and he had Jason's book uh ready and he was quoting from the book and it was just amazing. I think he um he, he's the loveliest person you could ever imagine and he, he you know he came across as a real sincere f- fan of the music and I think that was the so beauty of it. And yeah. once we shot that interview we knew that we had like the perfect ending to the film. Brilliant.
0: Yeah. And you uh, I mean you were saying in the QA last night though you were worried about him burning through the, the budget but I'm uh, yeah. uh, gladly that didn't happen.
3: Yeah, yeah, it, you, you know, so we, um, the, and the funny thing about that was that we couldn't afford a hotel, right. so we stayed up all night and spent all night at this festival and flew, <laughs> flew back and we were completely hungover, and the next day I had this voice message, message on, on my mobile, I was like really sleepy and checked my mobile, and then it was Iggy who phoned me via his manager saying, wow. thanks for making this film, I'm really looking forward to it, and I was like, whoop. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's amazing. I don't, nobody's gonna believe me, but so I'm glad that he left that message.
0: <laughs> great, great. I was just wondering what you thought. I mean, I don't know what you've um, what you've seen at the festival mm-hmm. itself. Yeah. But it seems to me one of the things that that sort of underlying, um, and I think it's probably the link that Neil has with music documentaries. It's one of his big big things. But also, it seems to be a wider theme in culture in popular culture. Maybe now this sort of return to or. Uh, utilization of kind of DIY what would yeah. have been called previously DIY mm-hmm. culture analog technologies if you think of Mark yeah. Jenkins film if you think of Sounding Out mm-hmm. and i was just wondering what, where you think that that com- comes from is it a part of this sort of dissatisfaction with everything being overly produced yeah. or you know we're all online all the mm-hmm. time and we're all searching for you know if you use that problematic word authenticity but we're all looking for something that, that mm-hmm. is a, a little bit more met- kind of Meaningful, or even sort of material in the tactile way, rather than the commercial way. You
3: know. Yeah, absolutely. I, f- I feel I feel the same. I was just talking to uh, the, Jake, the um um uh, director of the amazing um, North Grace film for right. and and we were we were just saying the the same. F- thing that we, I think, especially with the music documentaries, the Shirley Collins one, the Melford Grace one and ours probably share that um, I think the way that they were produced is that they really reflect the music in their own way, you know. And the Shirley Collins one was, like, super poetic. The Morf- Milford Graves one is like like an essay, and ours is super raw, just like sleepfoots music. And I th- I think I think that's what they all share. And I think it's just like we were also, or at least speaking for myself, I was super bored with like talking heads archive footage uh, documentaries and um, and I I think there's been so many of these films and you know obviously they work and they find their audience which is a great thing but I I also love the films that that find that specific angle and that come a bit closer to their subject even though there might be a shaky camera or you know like a rough edit or something but there's definitely some um some more authenticity to it yeah, like yeah, you yeah. And, uh, yeah, and also so, keep
0: it away from the kind of formulate nature of we exactly. need to get this 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 and this exactly. in which so, seems now to me almost you can you can see when that's happening on yeah, screen a lot yeah, of the time yeah
3: yeah exactly so i think i think it's amazing to see that and and neil and justin they 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 have i think they they brought together a really great selection of of films that just do that kind of thing they work on a on a in a different way you know they they don't have follow that formula maybe mm.
0: and do you think that i mean where do you see the sort of standard of the f- of the films here because it's mm. I, I think that Justin and Neil, they do have this sensibility of trying to, obviously trying to get the best work into the festival but also championing work that is maybe a first short or a first yeah. feature or something yeah. that has promise i think yeah. there's that sensibility as well
3: yeah absolutely i think um, yeah probably more more daring films mm. even films that are a little bit left off center i mm. think, I, I, I think and um and films that clearly were made you know, with lots of sort of love and maybe a different angle to what you would normally see. I think I think yeah. that's what they all share. And yeah.
0: Right. And and are you are you working on anything now? Have you got something in the pipeline?
3: Um. Well, I've got a few ideas here and there floating around, and I'm at the very early stages of, of, of pitching those ideas. And so yeah, I hope fingers crossed. I hope something will come off of it. <laughs> Great,
0: <laughs> Christine. Thanks so much for thanks taking the time.
3: For having you on.
4: Two guys stood on stage, and it's pure, and it's like, and you can f*** with it.
5: In the deep like, caverns of like small towns in England, that
0: is where great music exists. The
4: smell of f*** is so strong, it smells like decent
6: bacon,
7: Kevin's getting loose on the overspill underneath the f- station. They are the voice of Britain, they tell no, what Britain of what is like. The
4: if you were on like £15 a week, and you turned the telly on and some
2: f- spouting on about love, you know, with a guitar in the middle of a forest. I mean, that's
8: just
4: It's a band that on paper shouldn't really appeal to people, but it does. Keeping out of the film, actually. Yeah, it's a a band with old men.
0: We both felt like we've not
5: fit in in anywhere. Ah!
0: Okay, I'm here with uh, Toby Matthews at uh, Filmstock Festival. Toby, congratulations on the film. Uh, welcome thanks for coming on, the cinematologist.
5: Thanks very much. Cheers.
0: Um, you had your screening last night. Uh, yeah. How did you feel about it? It Seemed to get a, a good reception. Really enjoyed the really enjoyed the film.
5: Yeah, it was good. It, it was really good. I think. It's interesting because I've seen it with a couple of different audiences now that don't know anything about it and don't know what to expect. Right. And it always takes a bit of time for them to warm up and realise that they're meant to, you know, that they can laugh. Got (laughs) you. So the
0: film's called Holiday, and it was filmed in Mausel in, uh, in Cornwall. So are you, a, um, are you a, a film at Falmouth person, or do you live down there? Is uh, What's your sort of connection to the area?
5: I studied in Falmouth, studied film there, so this is my graduate okay, film. Okay, cool. I've uh, since gone home, I've bought a van. <laughs> I'm right. doing it up at the moment, then I'll go back down to Cornwall. So it's it's like... When I'm not there, my, my heart's there. Okay. <laughs> it's there. Some, something's there.
0: Cool. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it seems that you've got a very interesting sort of, you know, you're familiar with the area and you, you understand the sort of mentality of the people there and even the sense of humour, I think. So tell us a little bit about the film itself.
5: Um, yeah, it's, it's quite it's quite a gentle sort of physical comedy. I've been watching loads of Jack Tati films around right. that summer before when when I had to start thinking about what, film I was going to make it for my graduate film and so I found that, that was kind of how I was seeing the world in these kind of just like picking out little things in the street watching everyone all the time Right. and then when I thought it was kind of last ditch attempt like I've got to come up with an idea now because I'd been away in Erasmus in France so right. I came back and they were suddenly like you have to come up with a film now so, um, so I just thought why not let's do it like do a, f- a comedy film I've always loved like Buster Keaton I grew up on Lauren Hardy and it's just like a real natural mode for me is that kind of Physical and without words, anything without words I'm very comfortable with I think
0: yeah, and I think um, um, and Cornwall, I think is really interesting as a sort of area because there are having lived and worked down there myself it's you know there's a lot of eccentric characters around and you can yeah, bump right. into people and you sort of utilize that a little bit.
5: yeah small seaside towns you get the, the best interesting most interesting <laughs> characters for sure I'm from like the New Forest, which is not too much of a stretch like small okay. rural town, yeah. sort of by the sea. Um, so I can't have, maybe that's why I, under, I feel like I understand the I don't know I don't know I don't know what it is but um, yeah it's very gentle light hearted um, and it's more of a portrait of the town rather than um, a comedy or like a there's not much of a story really no no but, but
0: it's t- Tati inspired and you've got this sort of leading character who uh, you know plays that, that that sort of genial comedy character doesn't he
5: yeah he's got his own kind of He's just trying to get a little ice cream, have a nice holiday, Right. Um, but you, I, like, I wanted the camera to kind of get distracted almost, I wanted the, the, you know, the audience to be able to pick out jokes and feel like they're not being shown something sure. that they have to see, they kind of choose where they want to look. Uh, that was the aim anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I also didn't want to impose my own idea of what this town was onto Mausel, and so we didn't cast, we cast about five of the characters, there's about... Twenty or thirty people that appear in it, but most of them were just the residents of Mousel, Um That we would just run up to just before we did the shot, whatever, and ask them if they could get involved. And they're all so so up for it. Great. Quite embarrassed at first, but when when they they sort of eased up. Um, but I thought that was better than they're much more interesting characters as well than than getting someone from somewhere else and uh, someone else from somewhere else and shoving them all into this town. Right. Um, and saying this is what Mails is because we yeah. named it as well, so it felt a bit dishonest. Yeah, yeah.
0: I, You've always got to be, I think, a little bit careful if you're coming in and, and sort of, especially with a comedy, sort of projecting an idea of a yeah, place, right. which can be a bit, a bit yeah. problematic, can't it? I'm
5: not Cornish. And yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but also, there's some kind of documentary shots in there as well, like a couple of shots at the start. The people don't know they're being filmed there's a few shots where people not sure. don't know they're being filmed but they're yeah. some of the funniest yeah, <laughs> like yeah. some weird little things happen <laughs> if you just film someone for a while um
0: did you did you um write the script as sort of scenarios rather than you obviously know, because there's no dialogue it's not dialogue mm-hmm. at all but you know dialogue heavy at all what I was had, your sort of process there well
5: i had the bingo the main guy his, his sort of line throughout the film his trajectory and then I had these other characters that weaved through and wanted them to cross paths Mm. and catch those moments where they intersect and so there was a few kind of recurring characters but then I would just be thinking about things and I'd write them down, I had a book full of notes of little ideas and stuff and so I'd write them out into bits of paper and some of them, the jokes that didn't push the story uh, forwards, I could kind of rearrange and mix and match. but there were some that were more tied into how, you know, how they physically interact. A lot of it we tried to do without cutting, so we would have them interact like a choreography or something like that, yeah. that was in the shot. Um, but no, I did. I did just keep. I mean, we were writing stuff while we were filming, which was quite stressful for <laughs> the cameraman. Um, but sometimes we just go like wait we're we going to film over here we've got an idea this guy there he's been perfect with this joke or like this person said they want to be in the film so we'd come up with jokes for that yeah. so it was a real spontaneous kind of atmosphere and I hope that, that, that the intention was that maybe that energy would come across
0: yeah no I think it I think it, it, it definitely does and I think
5: if you're having fun while you're making it that kind of yeah, it's important for a comedy anyway but that, that you can see that
0: Sure, were you worried about it, like, because it's your final film before graduation, We are sort of worried about, oh, God, this has got to kind of come together in the edit afterwards? Because if you're sort of improvising, you haven't got a shot list and coverage and all that kind of stuff. You well,
5: know? I, was, I, I edited it, so I had a rough idea in my head, okay. or pretty exact idea, really. You know, what's going to lead on to what and where, I, which shot's going to be, like, a, I don't know, I just had a good feel for it. So I did, there wasn't any communication, but I didn't have to tell, <laughs> and, you know, it's, have some editor come yeah, in. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Like, that's like an tourism auteur, writ large, I suppose. Maybe,
5: yeah. <laughs> did all the sound as well. We did, uh, like, it was all post-synced. So we did Foley for it. Me and George, the sound man. Cool. Um, so, yeah, every footstep, every voice, including the child, so that's me. Right, <laughs> so oh, right, okay. So every every sort of sound and everything we created it. And that was a really interesting thing because you get to choose what people look at. So if you omit a lot of noise, just put some in
0: it directs the vision Yeah, ideas. yeah, it's crazy yeah it's really yeah yeah, yeah. I think that's something that a lot of student filmmakers kind of realise <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe after the fact you know what I mean well, yeah, <laughs> when you, yeah
5: when you really create every single sound it's it yeah. totally you, yeah you look at sound and a totally dramatic. yeah absolutely um, but yeah totally uh, glad it <laughs> came out as I said in the yesterday that it was all we shot on film that was about 20 years old as right I said. But, um, so we tested one of the roles of it but it wasn't all from the same stock so
0: yeah, it's got a beautiful filmic quality. The grain texture to it is really, really nice.
5: Yeah, well, we didn't know if it was going to come out at all, so the fact that there is a film, I'm just yeah. glad
0: of that. And, um, and did you have that? Was that sort of always in mind? You were like, oh, no, I want to shoot this on film, so it does look, it does have that kind of like old felt, French, maybe, yeah, you know, tattoo it felt
5: right. It felt like um, I'd always wanted to try and shoot on film. It felt like if any film is the one to do it, um, this seemed like a perfect... I don't know, there's something about if you dress someone the same way as they were as people dressed 100 years ago, or if you shoot using the same material as they made films on 50 years ago, it, I'll, you can kind of see it more clearly in the lineage of the, yeah. like, the progression of that. Um, and it just felt like the right, I don't know, the, the best silent films were the right. only ones that shot me filming, and it just, yeah.
0: Wonderful. Well, thanks, thanks for talking. we better stop now because so, a car engine has just come up behind us and is running. But um, I appreciate your time. What have you got coming up next? Have you got any more projects?
5: Yeah, I'm editing a film at the moment. It's like a half-hour um, mystery film about a... <laughs> it's like a guy, a bit of a drunk. Like, like a, He's come home. It's not... It sounds like it's based on autobiographical. Come home from uni. He quit. He's a dropout and he came back home to his parents' house, but they're not there. It's just like got pretty miserable life, he's drinking and uh, he starts to black out and wake up with these like notes written on him oh, okay. um, and, and strange objects in his pocket and stuff like that and he tries to start, as he pieces together the the, the events of the night before, he gets sort of sucked into this weird world of small town crime. And stuff.
0: Oh wow, sounds interesting. Um, yeah, right. Sounds like some um, <laughs> Memento-esque maybe. <laughs> yeah, I maybe mean, not,
5: not, not really Memento, more like, it's like a drunk version of um Oh, Care wow. Great. Like. <laughs> well, thanks very much for talking <laughs> to Cheers. me. Cheers. Thank you.
0: back on the Cinematologist podcast with Gillian Harker. Welcome Gillian, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Um, so obviously you are the writer, director and actor in your film Cross So, uh, and that screened the other day. Mm-hmm. Um, so how did how do you feel that went? I mean I, I feel like because I was in the screening and obviously there was six, seven other films but you were the only filmmaker there so there's a lot of pressure on. I know,
6: I was so emotional that day because okay. yeah. um, so Luton is my hometown. Um, I was born and raised here, and I used to go to a youth drama club, and we would rehearse in the old version of the Hat Factory. Okay. Um, and you know you have these dreams as like a fifteen-year-old, and uh, you're a bit naive as well. I think I, when I was fifteen, I just assumed I'd have an Oscar. By by, the time. By this point. Yeah. Exactly. Rehearsing like Kate Winslet. Kind of thing. Oh, absolutely! I think yeah. I wrote some speeches, um, but it was just it was. Really emotional, actually. I had uh, a few friends. I um, had my mum come down, and I I also have such a fear of public speaking. Okay. Um and so when Neil gave me Neil Fox gave me the <laughs> the microphone. There's no other filmmakers there. Um I just uh it was such a lovely audience though, yeah. and um you know you never know how uh none of my friends are filmmakers. The the bunch that came um on Friday. And so I wasn't sure how they were gonna take it. Sure. Uh, and but they they really enjoyed the experience. They really enjoyed, um, the films that were shown. And you know afterwards they you know that there was one of the films about set in the art gallery. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> and they're sort of dissecting what the the art pieces mean. And I yeah. think sort of the gag is. Or laughing at the sort of pretension of yeah yeah <laughs> afterwards, I was in the, art, yeah, that, yeah I was in the lobby afterwards and we were talking about some of the films and they are all looking to me for yeah, 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 answers yeah, I yeah. found myself just reaching for random adjectives <laughs> to try and describe but uh, yeah they really they really enjoyed it I think all of them were saying it's such a fantastic thing mm. to bring to Luton because yeah, yeah, yeah. it's made me film stock it's made me realise that there is such a hub and a community here wanting good yeah, film yeah, yeah, yeah. independent film and uh, yeah, I I know film stock had been done before, you know, ten years ago, um, and it had been successful then. But I would have been completely unaware of any of that. Yeah. Um, and. Yeah. I think
0: audiences are, are, are um, sometimes underestimated because you we were talking the other day how mm-hmm. you know they, your friends and everything came out and they were they were kind of like really getting into what all of these shorts mean and like maybe yeah. you wouldn't associate just. Just sort of people who would normally go see a mainstream movie wouldn't, yeah. wouldn't be interested in that kind of thing. But I think that, you know, sometimes we, the, the, the industry underestimates what, oh, what people want, they you know?
6: Absolutely do underestimate. And I've had so many conversations in this weekend, this week alone, about when you're a filmmaker or an actor or whatever actually industry you want to go into, when you're from a, and when I say this, I say it with the most love. I love, I'm so proud of being from Luton but there is definitely a stigma of being from a working class town and some of that uh, you know, stigma we put on ourselves as well. Yeah. And um, Yeah, I think that there is this feeling that certain towns won't understand mm. <laughs> art and yeah, culture yeah, yeah. and uh, it's absolutely ridiculous, it's rubbish.
0: So obviously we've talked, you came down to Brighton and we talked about mm-hmm. your film, we've seen it two or three times now but for the audience The film's called Cross Mm -hmm. and, you know, you want to give us a a sort of summary and tell us how, you know, the development of why you wanted to tell this story?
6: So it's about a couple. It's just a two-hander and they, you know, they've been together a while. Um, They're in a very good place in their relationship, um, but it's, uh, the story's about him, he has this secret um, that he's kept from her for a while. Um, Shall I reveal the secret? <laughs> well, it's to you. It's your film. Yeah, <laughs> I'm getting used to all of this. A- anyway, um, for those that want to see, I won't reveal it just yet. But yeah, um, she comes in one day in the middle of him doing something, and uh, it's uh, about his shame and how she deals with it. Um, and for me, it was uh, I'm. I'm I like to think I'm a very liberal, accepting, open person. I try to put myself in other people's shoes, but the reality is, if I, if I was confronted with certain things, how would I really deal with it? Yeah. Uh, especially if it was someone that I'd been with for a while and they'd kept something from me. There's that sort of trust issue, but um, ultimately, she finds a way in the film to
0: sort of reconcile the. It was important yeah. for me
6: not to have a tied up, neat ending because sure, sure, sure. I think with any it's a ten minute film. There's nothing mm. you can you can't tell a complete story in ten minutes. Yeah, Especially when it's a relationship drama. So it, the ending's not necessarily ambiguous, but it's I, I don't want the intention to be that it's like a happily ever after. It's definitely a uh, we're going to work th- you know we're going to I want you to open up to me I'm going to provide a safe space for you, for us to be able to discuss and mm. move forward and uh hopefully that came across anyway um the 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 inspiration I always feel I wish I had a more intelligent answer for this I just I'm an actor i was struggling to get acting work or anything remotely interesting and I just knew that writing uh, something for myself would be the way forward and then kind of got to the point where I thought, do I do I direct it as well? Mm. Um, and then this idea kind of popped into my head. I think when you're a writer, when you want to create stories, you always have a million different stories and ideas going through your head. Mm. And what I've realised, I learned, you learn a lot about yourself when you're making a film. I'm so scared of commitment, committing to anything, because as soon as you commit to something, you risk failure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, but I just panicked um, on my birthday last year, actually, I went out with a friend who's an actor for, for dinner, and we were just chatting. And I was like, "No, th- this is the story I'm going to tell." This mm. is it. And um, uh, yeah, um, I think there's a danger as well as of putting the great before the good. I, I have such high uh, levels of tastes mm. stuff that I love watching is just from. You know the greats, and obviously I'm not at that level yet where I can
0: yeah.
6: match what I love watching.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I find that very hard myself when it's kind of like you know there's people out there maybe not not in filmmaking but just in kind of like anything. academic life. It's just like there's people up here and you're down here, and it's kind of what's the point of you doing anything because there's this here. You know what yeah, I mean?
6: but then if they, they've got there, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because. They've been where we are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, so that, it, yeah, that's a, a sort of a motto I want to keep with me. Don't put the great before the good. Um, you know, a really act, a great actor that I really admire said that to me, and I was mm. like, oh wow, okay. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Someone that
6: I look up to is like, sure. you know, has the same kind of motto. It's uh, yeah.
0: And there's a lot of there's a lot of mediocre stuff that's up there as well that gets well, seen and stuff like you've got to remember that. This <laughs> is the other thing, and that
6: comes down to nepotism yeah, and yeah, if yeah. you're from you know if you're in a certain circle yeah. i think mediocre work is often celebrated yeah, yeah, yeah um which is a completely different conversation and yeah. i rant for like so long about that when i get on my little soapbox about it but i'm not saying that like, you know my film's the best thing ever but mm. it's it's you know it's a starting point sure. and it's it's given me more than anything it's given me the confidence to think because i always had this mentality and i, I think it's part of the sort of Luton mindset as well that you grow up in. This sort of
0: mm. there's a boundary, there's a limit, wanted, or or you know or you need to get it, tr- try and get past that. And I've
6: had so many conversations this weekend, and so many people have that same yeah. feeling. And it, it it's uh, I, I would always have that thought in my mind. Uh, I'm not the sort of person that does that. I'm not. I'm not a director. I'm not yeah. this. I'm not that. I still struggle like when you introduced me just now writer, yeah. actor yeah, 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 yeah. I'm like well oh, not really but yeah, yeah, yeah. you just have to own it and um, what other people think about me isn't my concern mm. um, it's taken me a long time to realise that but,
0: um, but what did you bring so what did you bring then as an actor into the kind of role of director or was this a sort of sense that you were tr- yeah you were acting in it but really it was about sort of finding what it means to be a director you know in your first project kind of thing
6: so I I any film that I love, it's always always been the character and the acting that has drawn me in. Absolutely, I mean, um, and I I just knew. I mean, my film has very little dialogue, and it's not it's not a flashy, showy film. Uh, I still need to get to grips with like the technical side and the film grammar and all that kind of stuff. It's a very simple setting. There's no scene has more than three shots. Mm. But it was really important to me that the, the actor I had, uh, and the actor I had, Ryan Hayes, is is incredible. I think he's one of the best actors working at the moment. And uh, we, we did a lot of workshop rehearsal, which helped with my script writing as well, because the first draft was terrible. It was just words, words, words. Yeah, yeah. Words, 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 yeah, yeah, words. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. it's just... <laughs> oversell it, over-egging yeah, Explain this, explain yeah. this. This is what's happening. Why yeah. are you wearing this? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, um, but yeah, so we did a lot of workshop, rehearsal, we had to like, really trust each other because there's, you know, it's a couple that's been together for a while mm. um, and yeah, I, I was just lucky that he was such a great, I love naturalism mm. in performance and I think he brings that. Um,
0: yeah, 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 because it's very difficult, I think in, you know, maybe even more difficult in a short film to, to have that believable intimacy that a couple has. Do you know what I mean? I think that's probably the strongest part of the film, where you kind of like say to yourself, you know, you can can sort of see where the the actors are acting in a relationship, rather than they are just present in the relationship. Do you know what I mean? it was
6: quite odd, because like on a personal level, I've been single for like six Mm. years now, so like I'd sort of kind of, in a way, forgotten what it was like, because kind of, you sort of, I don't know, you spend so much time by yourself that you Mm. kind of forget uh, not forget but it, it takes a lot it takes a lot yeah, of yeah, yeah. trust to be able to open yourself up to that. But um yeah, like he we worked really well together and Yeah, I like that those scenes come across well. I mean I, I hate public displays of affection yeah. or anything like that, so I did find it quite tough to yeah, do yeah, that yeah, stuff. Yeah. I had all my crew, like, I, I was so lucky with the the crew that I had on set. They were all vastly more experienced than I was. <laughs> but they were just very kind. And, you know, my obviously my producer, my first AD, had to keep things quite strict. And they were dealing with the schedule. And because uh, I very easily would just forget <laughs> that we'd, you know, had to move on to the sure. next, the next yeah, show. Yeah, yeah, But, uh, you know, I, I'm the sort of person I would have i done twelve takes if I can, and I wouldn't have been per- happy with any of them. Right. But actually, I beautiful. they move, help you
0: move the process forward. Yeah, know? absolutely.
6: But there was something beautiful in um, the improvisational nature, just letting the camera sort of sit and pick up. Right. Um. But yeah, and it all all came down to trust
0: between yeah, yeah. me and that so yeah. Right. And um, obviously, you were talking the about the other night, and it's screening. Your family was there and stuff like that, and mm-hmm. you know, there's a sort of there's always a sort of fear and an emotionality around that, but how is it seeing a short film in a block of other short films? Because that's always interesting to me. Because you want to, you know, you're happy for other film. You see other films. Oh, that's a really great film.
4: Mm.
0: And then, but there's always this sort of nervousness. Like, so how does that stack up against my film? And all this, so you know, there's a little yeah. bit of internal competition there, I'm isn't so there? Always, is. you know.
6: It's so I'm so glad you said that because also I find um, that. I, I pre-apologise things. <laughs> yeah. And again, it's the sort of like imposter syndrome deal that comes out. So all of my friends and family that came, I would always... And even when I was first showing the film to people, I would say, it's only my first thing yeah, 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 yeah. And someone literally had to... S- not literally yeah. slap me across the face. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Figuratively yeah. slap me across the face and they stop, stop doing apologizing. that. Stop apologising. Because it's annoying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, But I was finding myself still doing it. I, was, I kept saying, yeah, it's not really your thing. And... Um, and i was chatting to a guy last night actually um who has been, he's been at the whole festival and i've kind of never really chatted before but he's sort of been on the loot and he was saying that you know if you're in a band and you're bringing your mates to see a band and it's part of you know you're doing a, one song and there's like 20 other songs yeah, yeah yeah you have no control over what those other sure things are so you, I, yeah i found myself sort of apologizing but then you know I thought it was a great selection of films
0: yeah. um, uh, there's been quite a lot of films not you know I'm not going to say the same but they're dealing with this sort of sense of a relationship and in various different kinds of relationships but also the things that change those relationships I think there's been quite a few films around that even if it's just two friends or if it's two yeah. partners or whatever you know
6: I think uh, for me when it came to making this film I knew that I needed to keep the parameters very tight I, I know on the two locations I knew it had to be a two-hander um, you know what kind of story could I tell I knew that there had to be with any short film one character needs to learn something yeah. in my case both have sort of learned something and yeah when you've got a two-hander it's gonna be a relationship of some kind and for it to be interesting and engaging yeah something needs to happen for you know, then to come to a crossroads, mm. and there needs to be a decision. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think that's probably. I think there's quite a few short first. Uh, sorry, first time filmmakers here. Sure. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think it's a natural when we're just trying to. Well, I feel when you're just trying to feel your way through, you want to just keep it very. Very controlled and very simple, and the easiest thing is conflict in a relationship. I yeah, think.
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. And just finally, then the, obviously you said at the beginning you're from Luton, and this is an event that is sort of ingrained in Luton. I mean, Neil and Justin have done these eye dents at the beginning where it's kind of satirically taking the pits out of Luton and stuff. And the, yeah, there's a sort of, yeah, they're so good. Aren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but there seems to be something about you know, it's not a defensiveness, but it's kind of like a recognition of the festival is in a place where the place is sort of. It, it, it feeds into what this festival is trying to be. So I don't know whether you sort of feel that or, you know, coming from Luton, that what what kind of that, that's about, you know?
6: Yeah, I mean, I I am absolutely incredibly proud of being from Luton mm. now. And I hope no one's going to take this the wrong way. But I definitely <laughs> had a feeling growing up that rightly or wrongly, yeah. when you're, you think you know everything, when yeah. you're like 15, 16, I just... Absolutely felt this need to escape because I like, I didn't see what was here. Mm. I hope no one really listens to this and hates my guts. Have to reiterate, I'm so proud of being. From, I shout it from the rooftops now yeah, yeah. because, um, you know, like I remember having a you know careers day at school, and I was so excited because uh, I uh, just thought she's going to tell me how to be an actress, mm. and I turned up and it was this little cupboard in our school, <laughs> and. Uh, I think she was an external woman that had come in, and she said, "What do you want to be when you grow up?" And I said, "I, yeah. I want to be an actress." Yeah. And she had no idea. Yeah. How to advise me? She yeah. she was fumbling. She said, oh, "Uh uh," and she yeah. su- she suggested drama teaching. Right. Okay. absolutely nothing wrong. With drama teachers. I learned. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah I learned yeah.
6: from drama teachers, but it. But it puts it in a box, doesn't it? Yeah, thing. yeah. It absolutely does, and she just, there was no, there was no, uh, there was nothing open to me. It mm. felt it was. You know, if you want to be a doctor, nurse, uh, teacher, and they're absolutely worth mm. it, they're, they're amazing professions, but it was very different to what I wanted to do and it felt so alien. Mm. And, you know, you've got, there, there was not much theatre. Um, I think every theatre show I ever saw, professional, was always in London. Mm. And then the train ticket and the actual theatre ticket yeah. yeah, yeah incredibly it's expensive. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it's a very complicated issue, but yeah, there was definitely a feeling for a while. Among like a few of us, that there was just nothing going on that was exciting in Leeton, which was completely wrong because film stock was actually happening yep. obviously yeah, yeah, yeah. for years and years and years. Yeah. Um. And there was, I mean, like, I was part of a drama club. There was, there, there was stuff going on. Um, but you it, can't see it sometimes.
0: And we, it doesn't you know help know I mean? when the it's government are like, making
6: cuts yeah, yeah, to yeah, every yeah, single yeah. council in the country. Yeah. yeah. Um. But yeah. So the, the bottom line is now I'm incredibly proud of Leeton and. Uh, I think there are really exciting things happening. Uh, there's another uh, Luton Festival as well, a uh, film festival that I think is at another point in the year. So, um, yeah, I think there's really exciting things. And it's such, it's such a great location as well. <laughs> like yeah, yeah, yeah. Half an hour you're in central London.
0: Sure.
6: Um, anyway, I'm wrapping on. Yeah. But
0: <laughs> well, thanks very much for taking the time to talk to me.
6: Thank you for having me. <laughs>
0: So I'm talking now with uh, Edwin Miles, the filmmaker of uh, Rose, which is screening at Filmstock where we are. Edwin, thanks very much for coming on the podcast. No, no, thank you. Yeah, thanks for inviting mm-hmm. me. Uh, no, exciting. yeah, no problem at all. Um, um, so this is your graduate film, is that? Am I right in saying that? Uh,
4: yeah, it was used for my uh, dissertation project as part of my dissertation project from the MA at the University of Bristol. So, Great. Um, was Part of a practice as research project, really. And how
0: does that how's that structured in terms of do you have to write a theoretical aspect of it and yeah. then make the
4: film, or is it sort of back vice versa? Yeah, well, there, there, are, there are ways you can go around it. Um, due to time constraints that I had, I made the film first, then wrote a kind of companion dissertation piece, okay. But we had to kind of approach it knowing that they're two the two pieces work together, really. So, um we did all the research, well, I did all the research and the, th- the kind of theoretical background um, before going into the film, so I could apply it to the filmmaking, which generally is how I like to approach films anyway. Great. Right. Um, kind of make a film born of some kind of theory or philosophical thought. Um, Great. Right. Um, and in this, in the case of Rose, it was based around kind of f- film composition, film form, um, and in this case, it's a combination between moving image and still photography. And the film kind of explores that and experiments with those two visual mediums. And the, the rose of the title is obviously
0: your grandmother. So, yeah, I mean, did, were you sort of... Did you think to yourself for a long time, you wanted to make something about, uh, you know, because it's interesting, I don't want to say it's a character, but in a way, from an outsider's perspective, everyone's a character, but mm.
4: obviously, not a character to you, an intimate part of your life. Yeah, yeah I mean, i had made a short documentary called Hello Grandma, about her a few years previous when I was in Falmouth, which used home video, um, and it was kind of structured around this phone conversation I had with her, which kind of explored you know, ageing, memory, nostalgia, those kind of themes. But because it was so short, I, I felt like I kind of skipped over those themes way too quickly. So I always, in my mind, I always wanted to go back to talking about my grandmother. Um, but so, yeah, so that's why I went back to her, because she was in my mind. I like these kind of films or documentaries that look at family members. Um, as I say, kind of introspective, but using those people that are immediately in front of you as a way to explore yourself as well, and explore place. Um, Yeah, so I I moved to Bristol as well from Falmouth um, and I live in the West Midlands, is where Rose is set, so I was going through this whole kind of time where i didn't really know who i was didn't know where i belonged didn't know you know i missed falmouth missed home right was enjoying bristol was getting prepared to move to london so this whole kind of i was looking back at myself seeing like who I, who am i which kind of just gradually led to or well, naturally led to my grandma um and yeah i mean seeing her as a character i kind of like that audiences do that yeah you know i don't i don't want it to be this perceived as a home video, sure. I wanted it to be seen as like a, a film in itself. Which... And what were the
0: things about her that you thought, oh actually this is going to be interesting to an audience outside of myself and were you yeah. ever sort of worried though that you were kind of like, well this is
4: just my grandma and I'm interested but why, why the hell is there anybody else going to be, you know? <laughs> Yeah, that, that's probably, that. I was very worried. <laughs> right. <laughs> there, was, there was one, that was a huge problem for me to kind of get over that barrier. Yeah. So I love these kind of films that look at family members. Um, I can't remember the title of one, but there's one by a British filmmaker who made one about a grandfather, but found out she, he was like this, the most famous musician in, a, in Africa or whatever. Okay. So obviously there, the, the grandfather's famous. That's why it's important. Yeah. And I like Chantal Akerman's No Home movie. Um, which is just about her mother, but I think it's, I think it's her last film. Mm. So obviously Chantal Akerman is a hugely renowned yeah, yeah. filmmaker, so that's why that's So they can get away with that easily yeah, enough, um, yeah. So that's why we're interested, is because these people are really culturally important anyway. So I was like, what? and there was no kind of context really, or anything to kind of explore in my family, but I always wanted to look at my family, because yeah, I find them interesting. Mm. Um, but I don't know, as, 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 a, as a young person trying to make films, try not to let it bother me too much. And one thing I try and kind of think when making films is, you know, make, make the film for yourself first. Mm. If, if you can enjoy it, there's going to be a handful of other people that can, can enjoy it. And I mean, yeah, I love my grandma. She was well loved in the community anyway. I kind of just hoped that could translate. Yeah, and I think that yeah,
0: one absolutely. of one of the ways I think that does make it work is that you're not doing a sort of it. it it's not configured around a specific event, although there are yeah. you know there's an important event at the heart of it. But it, you know it's not chronological, not linear in that sense. It's sort of doing that thing that you're talking about in terms of wistfulness and, and dealing with like fractured memories or memories that that people have that are personal and where do they come from. And and how much do they correlate to a, an objective reality? So yeah. I, I suppose it's sort of dealing with a lot of those those issues that documentary has as well yeah. in terms of what is the the truth of a document. And 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 obviously you're saying that you're you're basing this on a sort of theoretical background. Mm. I mean, what's your sort of feeling about the ways documentary, particularly in today's age, where everybody's got a, a camera? On their phones yeah, and stuff. Is, yeah. is documentary kind of like something different, perhaps in terms of this <laughs> aspiration to a an objective truth? Although you uh, know the the
4: problems with that, even trying to do that. I mean, it's it's always going to have issues with that. Um, but I feel the idea that everyone's a documentarian. I don't I don't know too much whether mm. that's true. Um, I feel like documentary. You know what, what is documentary um so i saw rose more as like this meditation on these themes and for me it's more like an archival film right for me personally because sure. it's, it's a family archive but to an audience member that probably that's not going to be what it is yeah, um, yeah. then it's going to be a documentary or some kind of yeah meditation on themes of aging and memory and death and all that stuff so even within rose's context it's it kind of is a documentary but plays on other things as well so um so yeah yeah, i don't know (laughs) i don't know if that no no it's probably
0: an overly elaborately worded
4: question there on my my part
0: one of the things i really liked about your grandmother one of the things she said that sort of struck me was that getting to different ages and stages in her life and kind of realizing oh there's something new being 60 there's something new being 70 it's not kind of like it's just this gradual, you know, you tend to think when you're younger, maybe, oh, it's this gradual de- decline. Yeah. As I get past 35, <laughs> it all goes to shit kind of thing. Mm. But that was really interesting. And I just wondered whether there was anything in the document, in, in filming of the documentary that, that came out of your grandmother or the way that she is that surprised you and sort of made you think, ah, oh, actually, you know, you think you know these pe- the people who are intimate to your lives, but, but yeah. the actual process itself may have brought something new out.
4: Um... I mean, I, I knew her very well, so, I mean, going into it, no, I don't think anything did surprise me. I mean, the way she dealt with her, she she has an illness. Um, she was terminally ill at the time I was filming it, and the way I always knew she she'd had accepted it, um, but obviously me being her grandson on the other side of the camera, I thought that would affect her more, Yeah, yeah and yeah. I thought it might be a bit more emotional, Yeah, because yeah, yeah. I think this is the first time she saw me having me known that she's going to be ill, that she was terminally ill. Right. Um so I, I I expected her to be a bit Yeah, be a bit more reserved, maybe talk about it a bit more, maybe try and make me feel a bit more yeah. comfortable. But no, she was the same, she was that same kind of positive, vibrant, yeah, um, yeah, full of life person that she always was. So so that surprised me. Um I mean when making the film there was one issue where we had to kind of she was always trying to please me. She was always asking, you know, "Am I doing it right?" And it's like, "Right, okay." Yeah. It's like, "Grandma, that's not. Yeah, yeah. You can't just be yeah, yeah, yeah. wrong. If yeah, yeah. anything goes wrong, that's on me. It's not on you." Um, <clears throat> so that took time to get yeah. uh, used to, or you know, act as if the camera isn't there. Yeah. But that, I mean, me being her grandson as well caused a dif- a different kind of dynamic. So it's not it's not just a filmmaker filming a subject. Yeah. It's a grandson filming a grandmother. Which, yeah, 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 yeah. Offered, I think, something a little bit different. Yeah, because um, she was even more aware that mm-hmm. I was there, and my brother did some of the sound recording on some right, days as right, well. okay. So <laughs> there <with> was this <laughs> whole. Yeah, no, you, just what you're saying. Then it makes me
0: think that there is some kind of unique dynamic. I think between grandsons and grandmothers, yeah. and I don't know why, because I do feel it myself. Yeah, And it, it, it's almost like sometimes, without sort of overly generalising, I think like sons have very difficult relationships with their fathers often. Yeah. And then I think that that maybe is sort of offset by the fact that they seem to have this sort of unique connection with grandmothers. I don't know yeah. whether you feel the same thing at all.
4: No, yeah, definitely. It's, it's odd. Um, I mean, I had a, a unique relationship with my grandma, partly because I'm the youngest of three brothers. My other two brothers are so tightly born in the same space. Right. So when they were young, they spent time with her as two, um, but then when they got older they spent less time and then I was... Right, okay. So I spent a lot of time with her by myself. Um, so yeah, so I had a quite a close, um, unique relationship with her in terms of my family. Um, and and my granddad as well was a big kind of presence in the family as well, um, Rose's husband. Mm. Um, so there was the, the they, they they meant a lot in terms of my family, and they were kind of these figureheads without overtly being figureheads. They we, we kind yeah, of did revere yeah. them as that, um, and I think age anyway. We you know there is that you know there's an immediacy immediacy to our parents. You know my my dad is my dad, and I see him every day. The fact we see grandparents kind of less frequently, and mm. they're they're much older, and we can. Easily see that they're wiser. Yeah. And they forgive you a lot more, I think, maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And they, and they give us gifts and yeah. <laughs> slip us fibres here and there. Yeah. But yeah, no. And they kind of give us snippets of wisdom without realizing it, whereas you know, maybe the parental wisdom is kind of lost in the have you done your bed?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think that's probably true. Um, So have you got uh, any other projects
4: up and running? Are you working on something right now? Um, I've just finished a short documentary called Terminator Wolverhampton, which is like an observational vignette chronicling the tram journey from central Birmingham to Wolverhampton. Um, So that was completed and released about a month ago, just finished shooting a short fiction film called Honeydew, with, uh, which is uh, kind of a crazy um, psychological chamber piece about a guy who believes he can see ants on his walls. Um, so he puts out little honey pots to kind of Wow, attracts them. Sounds very surrealistic yeah. Then, yeah. But then he gets addicted to the honey as a <laughs> as a kind of coping mechanism. It's kind of like Philip K. Dick meets Cronenberg. Oh, brilliant. Um, so that's gonna go in post-production when I get oh, the tapes back, because I filmed it on mini-DV. Oh, okay, yeah, it's yeah. Cool. Which is an interesting aesthetic itself, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah. And I'm gonna play with that a lot more. Uh, play with that with, with documentaries as well. And I mean, uh, there's, there's a long-term plan of making a follow-up to Rose, um, a bit more of a feature film maybe. Um, which focuses more on my mum, more on my dad, and my family in general. You know, my mum and my dad—they're both retirees now. Right. My dad was a long-time market trader, so I, and I want to take him to a market and just have him go off on one about the landscape of current market trading because it's quite depressing. and not seen him. You could physically see the decline while he was working there. Right. And then kind of look at my mum as somebody who's mourning, still even like a year, year later the death of her mum. And see how that has affected her, and how that's kind of gone through the whole family. Um, and then just look at family life anyway. I think it's great. To me, that kind of stuff is just fascinating.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's. I think you've really got a, an eye and a and a sort of sensibility for that idea of time and memory, and then relationships of families, and then even sort of how that fits into changes in the wider context of the world and work and all these kind of things, so uh,
4: good luck with all your future projects. No, no, thank you. Yeah, thanks for having a chat, that was, yeah, it's great. Great.
7: It's a very big change, isn't it, to be 93, which you don't realise because it comes upon you suddenly, but it hits you a bit hard when you suddenly realise there's illnesses that you get, that you don't expect. Some days I can't believe that I've got anything wrong with me, but some days I feel some pain that I know will come on because it's not got to its worst yet. But I know, obviously, it has got to get a lot worse. I've got the end of this year in my mind for no reason whatsoever. That's just my idea. But if I can go on longer, obviously, I'm hoping, yes, I can. It will get more painful as it goes on, but I've got something to ease the pain. But I'm hanging on for that. I haven't resorted to that yet. But it will come naturally. But I've been well blessed all these years, haven't I? And I have a lovely family, a daughter that's very good to me. Very, very, very good looks after me. And three adorable grandsons, which I love very much. And I was, my husband, unfortunately, with cancer, but he stood that very well. And I was able to nurse him. But he was a marvellous patient because he never grumbled. He stood it very well. So, all in all, I'm going to him, aren't I? So I can accept that. Because I have got great beliefs anyway, I do trust and believe which does help when you're ill. It helps a lot, because if you haven't got any faith, there's nothing to think about, is there? That's what some say to me, they're just dying, that must be an awful feeling. You just have to accept it, really. They all keep saying, and the and mat- nurses when they come, they can't get over how I have accepted it, but although it was a shock, in a sense the shock was saying they couldn't do anything but it's funny that I could accept it but I think you work yourself up to it and and you get ready for what comes along as long as I can hang on I'm going to hang on aren't I
0: so yeah I hope everybody enjoyed those uh, clips we put some links up to the filmmakers involved so you can have a look at their work and if you want to follow them or indeed get in contact with them to discuss or even you know, talk to them about future projects. I'm sure they're all welcome um, that contact. So Neil, it was really nice to sort of hear you guys speak about you know the festival and and its importance to you guys individually, and then what and what what you think the relationship is to to Luton itself. And and you know, it was a really nice atmosphere with the uh, the final film, the the Sword of Trust, which which I think was a perfect final film to end on you know what i mean it was just really funny and not too you know not too heavy but funny in a kind of like yeah we're all having a good time kind of way um but yeah i was just wondering sort of the the sort of importance really of of this being in luton and you guys being from luton and how that how that kind of sits to what you you know I don't know what the the sort of sense of people who come from Luton think about the town and maybe the the self consciousness they have about that and I, I mean I really loved the the sort of idents that you had before each each section so these little clips of famous films or TV shows or you know news reports from back in the day just mentioning Luton it really gives that sense of sort of the the sort of knowingness I think that, that Lutonians seem to have about their sense of place.
1: Yeah, I think it's it, it's really it's really important to us that that the film stock is in Luton, um, and that I guess more broadly that that, that Justin and I do stuff in Luton and have always done stuff in Luton, and that Luton is at the heart of what we do because it's you know I, I've spent i I've lived in Cornwall for six years and I've spent six years essentially. Well, I spent my whole life defending Luton, but, you know, um, but I've spent six years kind of defending it from this thing of, oh, you escaped. Oh, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, you're, yeah. And it's like, well, you know, and have you ever been? Oh, no, I've been to the airport, you know, and there's there's this idea of Luton, which is, you know, often true. You know, I'm not, I'm, I've never been one to say, oh, Luton's amazing and it's, you know, like it has problems, it has issues, it has a history, but it's not what people think. I mean, I think everywhere is like that. But Luton gets a really, really bad rap for being, you know, a terrible place with terrible people and nothing going on and no culture. And it's just, it's, it's, it's just insulting, you know. And people seem to really get nasty and offensive when they know you from Luton, just in that way that it's just really rude. You know, they'll just say things to you about your hometown. They've never met you. Literally, they. Oh, this is Neil from Luton. I once had a film critic say to me, you know, a high level film critic who wrote, he doesn't write anymore, but he wrote for like leading publications. I met him at a screening and a friend of his said, oh, this is Neil and Justin from Luton. And he literally said, oh, I'm surprised you haven't been stabbed. And I was like, I don't know you. I've never met you. What gives you the right to say that to me? Like, that's, and that's what, if you're a Lutonian, that's what you face. That's what kind of drove the festival's start was actually, we can have a world-class event in Luton. You know, we can show the world that Luton is, is not what you think it is. And we know that the people here are nice, good, interesting, smart, thoughtful people. And if you're not on board with that, then that's your loss, really. And a couple of things that people have said who haven't been to Luton, you know, who came to the festival have said, you know, I was surprised that this happened in Luton. And you're changing people's perceptions of what a town is and what our town is. And I've missed that, you know, living in Cornwall. I've missed the people. I've really missed Luton, you know, like makes me sad when I go back and I look at it because it's, not a very attractive place. Um, and it, no one's ever cared for it in terms of a civic sense of pride, but the people are amazing. And to see those people again and to have them come out and to spend time with them was just thrilling. In 2005, we did a Joe Strummer Film Festival in London and we, we, got the, we were at the Curzon Soho and it was like a four, four day event, five day event. And it was successful in many ways, you know, but we were just like, oh, this, I don't want to do stuff in London <laughs> because people came for the screening and then they left. You know, and they, no one talked and no one hung around and no one was interested in knowing who anyone was because it's different, you know. And I, I realized that there's nothing wrong with that. I go to events in London all the time and I'm back and I love it. But there's something about the fact that Luton doesn't have anything like this that makes it work and that means that people will literally just rock up and talk to anyone. There's no sense of ego really. And we've had a couple of bits of that in the past, but people, they don't last long. You know, they just they just they are gone quickly because, you know, the, it, it presents itself as a place where as welcoming and friendly and people are just interested in people. They're not interested in glamour or ego. It's like, oh, you know, what have you got here? Have you got a film? Yeah. You know, I've got um the Sleeper Mods film, you know. Oh, OK, great. You know, it, it's not it's just it's, it's nice and it's important to us that that was retained. So coming back and being able to tap into that again and show people that you know that what luton is capable of is was, was really really important because we i think we always thought that because nothing had ever come in the wake of film stock you know there's not been anything like it in luton you know there's a few little things but nothing nothing like it it was always like well no one cared it like when it finished no one cared and to know that actually people remember it and do hold it in esteem and want to come out for it you know people want to come out for it because they'd heard it was great you know a lot of the filmmakers who came this year hadn't played before but they admit they, they wanted to play film stock and it hadn't been around for 10 years and that says something and that's all tied in with, with Luton I don't think it would be the same if we'd have done it anywhere else
0: Brilliant yeah and the great I mean the venues themselves were really really good I think the three venues just sort of you know did slightly different things it's really interesting how how venues sort of make a make a festival I think after the time. I mean it's like you know I mean Sort of comparing it to, to Berlin, but like half the half the beauty of Berlin is just bombing around to these different amazing cinemas. Do you know what I mean? It was just nice that yeah you have the sort of communal space and and the having the the food on site and you know you could buy a pass for food. That absolutely brilliant, really good. Just a word on Justin because you know we were having a joke beforehand, but you know obviously he's you know your your sort of friend from from way back in terms of organizing this festival, but. You know, what, what What does he sort of, how do you guys work together? What's he, you know, how do you sort of, I don't know, sync up in terms of getting everything done? And then how much did um, his partner having a baby the day before, or was it on the, the morning? Of, I, could, I, I didn't even know if it was the day before the morning of
1: the festival starting, throw a spanner in the works. So, yeah, he had, um, him and Kate had their second child, uh, Ethan, about three o'clock, I think it was, um, on the day that the festival started. So, Dan Schneider and I had got popped out to walk my dog Bailey, um, and yeah, I got a call saying it's happening. You know, everyone was fully aware that this might happen, and when we when we were kind of getting ramping up the organisation, he said, you know, uh, Kate's pregnant, and if, if if the baby comes at the same time as Izzy, they're first, then it's going to be right in the middle of film stock. So we were like, good to know. Uh, and he said, and, and in classic Justin fashion, he said, so I might I might miss a few hours, um, and you just think that's you know. Uh, insane and amazing um, and uh, yeah so so he, he, he missed the opening which I know he's very unhappy about just from a logistical point of view he'd be very annoyed that he couldn't make that work and because you know the, the panorama that we showed about Luton from the late from the mid 70s um, was something that was you know he, he'd kind of discovered um, through a, sort of a lot of local connections and was really, really wanted to show um, but he was back there by the time Eddie Gomez was playing jazz for the second time for the second set at the, the Bear Club so he missed I think it was seven hours I tied it up he was away from the festival and then he was there for the rest of it apart from a little bit on Sunday morning where there was yeah he, he missed a, he missed something else because again it was a super busy week of uh, a kind of a momentous week and not all good uh, for him in terms of family they had some very bad news um, from Kate's side of the family on the Monday when we were kind of ramping up to work on it and then so he missed something he missed a bit on because of that um which which was just as an aside was kind of the festival did remind us that you know it's 10 years you know and that life has changed for a lot of us and there was a lot there was there was we went through the nostalgic photos and some people aren't with us anymore and that was sad you know you realize that a significant amount of time has passed so, yeah, and, and those things were a kind of a reminder throughout, you know, the baby and, and the other news were just a reminder of life. Everyone's 10 years older kind of thing. Um, but in terms of how we work together, um, it's difficult to... The, the delineation is, is kind of not always clear. Um, what's clear is that Justin kind of... Justin drives most of the vision stuff, you know, like he, he knows exactly how he wants it to look. And exactly exactly how to put it all together. you know, I think that's why he directs and I write um, in the filmmaking relationship, you know he's got a very clear sense of, of how to make it work um, and wants to drive and be in control of that. And to be honest with you, ever since day one working with him, I've never wanted to encroach on that because I think that I think he is a visionary and I love watching him. You know, I love just watching him kind of put something together and he works very closely with our designer chris who did all the branding for uh, we well, did the branding for the venues when the venues were made built um, and does, has done the branding for us and the design for us the graphic design for everything going way way back so he works very closely with him on kind of doing that and then i just kind of basically say yeah this looks amazing let's do it um so what we kind of how we divvy up stuff was different this time because we don't work together Um, but generally it's it's everything's done together decisions all decisions are made together and I can't keep up with his ideas you know I just that's the thing is that he's got so many ideas about everything and you know like the eye dents and things like that just he was like I'm going to do this thing I'm like okay great and then I see them and I'm like you know a week later and it's like he's already you know he's had them edited and he's spoken to Chris and Chris has done the thing and then Stephen Worsley, who's our editor on wilderness and, and other things, just says put that just like, Oh, it just looks great. So he just work. He just he's he's he just lives and works at a such a such a pace. Um, you'd have to ask him what I bring <laughs> to it, but I, but you know I know my value in it, um, and uh, I know what I do that that kind of that makes films to what it is. Um,
0: it seemed to me that you were you were more sort of like. With with people, let's say,
1: do you know what I mean? You were like, whether yeah. it's
0: filmmakers or whether it's the staff, just making sure everybody's kind of like looked after, all right, doing what they should be doing, that kind of thing.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of management. It's weird. What's weird is that Justin didn't want Justin wanted to do more of that this time because in the old days he would project, he would literally project everything. Um, so for the for for a lot of the time in terms of the introductions and meeting people, he just wasn't around because he was running films and then obviously life has got in the way this time so he wasn't he couldn't do as much of the the hobnobbing and the schmoozing and the kind of welcoming um as i do um you know but i write a lot of the 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 content for for the program and kind of that's kind of um and sequencing and kind of a lot of that kind of stuff is is where i kind of come into it on the other side um and then yeah at the at the event it's kind of it's 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 doing the it's it's making it feel like film stock, you know. So even when even when things are burning down, <laughs> behind the scenes, um, it's making it's 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 not making it's it's making sure that everyone's just having a good time all the time, um, and that is, yeah, that's I think where a lot of the reputation comes from. Um, and on a day to day basis, it's hard to say because we've just done it for so long, and it was weird to do it again because we just clicked into oh this is what we've always it's done, you know. done. Yeah. Yeah. yeah um hard to analyze but but a thrill to be a thrill to be doing it again but to do it differently and to have so much of the last 10 years present in different ways was was really was really great
0: yeah well you know it was, it was an amazing event and you know if i can be so bold you know on behalf of i think everybody who attended everybody who showed and and you know sort of went there for the weekend i think it was an amazing job by by both of you and uh yeah, I mean, I know people were asking about when will it be back, but you said not for a while. So is it just basically watch this space at the moment kind of thing? Yeah, I've been
1: saying watch the skies um, yeah. <laughs> to uh, to people who've asked. I mean, we we sort of mentioned at the closing the closing film, you know, that it won't be next year. Um, but what it's done is it's 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 shown us a way of doing it that we're very happy with, that we could enjoy, that doesn't feel nostalgic and doesn't feel like look what we used to do. It felt Present and modern, and you know. And we thought, okay, it won't be ten years um, before we do it again, but and we'll be back. But uh, it won't be next year. Cool. Well, any uh, any final thoughts? Any but any
0: any thanks you want to give just before we sign off?
1: Thanks to everyone, really. Um, (laughs) I know you you did it at the event. Did it? Yeah. Yeah. Just you know, thanks to yeah, thanks to everyone who came through, audience, filmmakers, uh, sponsors. You know, uh, it was it was great because so many people made it great. Um, and whatever we do that kind of gets people to do stuff is, is, is one thing, but people, people wanting to do it and just enjoying it was, 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 was great. Um, yeah. And thanks to you for, yeah, for your support, for, you know, for allowing me to essentially be absent from much of the podcast for this, this season in terms of running events to be able to run, you know, running episodes and events to be able to do this. Um, and uh, and then to put a lot of the content out in this space is, is is i'm really grateful for that because you know i i don't like i don't like the the idea that it's all separate you know i, I want there to be kind of connections between my filmmaking and and and, the, and programming and, and everything and the podcast because the podcast now sits at the center of my kind of creative life with you so i feel very fortunate that you've been so supportive of of me doing that and then and also coming up and, and and talking to filmmakers and hosting the Jenks Q&A and and then putting so much stuff out into the into our stream is is, is uh, yeah is, is really nice so thank you for everything
0: oh no it's not even don't even mention it at all it's uh yeah my pleasure and it was always going to happen that way and actually I was thinking you know we should really go next year at some point up to the Bear Club and do a a screening and Q&A there on the, a, a podcast from there with the two of us. That would be good fun, I think. Oh, that'd be amazing, yeah.
1: That'd be, yeah. Yeah, be, be well up
0: for that, yeah. That's a, that's a great idea. Yeah, Cool. So uh, I think we'll leave it there. Um, just to say, as normal, you can catch up with us on social media on the email at cinematologist.gmail.com. If you have £2.50 spare a month to support us, you can go over to the Patreon page and get our bonus content but until next time this has been the cinematologist podcast thanks for listening
8: they and find they are
1: beautiful on the hilltops at night
5: She's the widest and the tallest and the biggest one.
8: She's my sword and fire.